Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. My name is Linda Van Borst, and I am a pastor here at Antioch Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It makes me happy to seek God together. As the new year is upon us, many of us probably find ourselves reflecting back on the unexpected and non-traditional year of 2020. And I imagine many of us are also looking forward to the year ahead, curious to see what is in store. And while it is a new year for us, I wanna remind you that according to the church calendar, which is a cycle of seasons created by the early church to remind us of the story of the Bible, the season of Advent is complete, and we are now at the second Sunday of Christmas. While it might seem like our culture has moved on from Christmas as the stores fill with things to buy for Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day, I encourage you to not forget the joy of Christmas. Today, on the second Sunday of Christmas, I invite you to open your Bible to John 1. Using this passage, we're going to look at God's good news for the world, woven throughout the beginning of this book. As you flip through your Bible, I want to point out that there are actually four books of John in the New Testament. We will be spending our time together in the Gospel of John, which tells the story of Jesus. The three other books of John are letters written to various churches and are known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. As you make your way to the Gospel of John, it is worth noting that the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin with an account of Jesus' birth and the preparations that took place to announce the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. But this is not how the book of John begins. The census, the shepherds, the swaddling clothes, they're all left out. Instead, John begins with an epic cosmic story. The book of John begins like this. John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Skip ahead to verse 14 and we learn that the word was in the world and dwelt among us. Now, when I was a senior in high school, I joined the Bible club at Sonora High School. My faith had been ignited by some bad decisions I made, and the goodness of God is what I wanted. We gathered in a classroom during our lunch break and read the Bible and discussed it together. And I remember when we came to this passage and we all looked at each other. Was John talking in riddles? We were confused. So this morning, let me explain. The term used here is logos. To the Greek, the word logos was an impersonal, abstract reason for order in the universe. But right out of the gate, we learn that this logos is far better. This would have caught the ear of the Greek reader. But this book wasn't just written for the Greeks. There were also Jewish readers, and the term logos had woven itself through the Jewish story also. To the Jewish readers, the logos, or the word of the Lord, was a well-known theme. By the word of God, or the Logos, God created the world. 
introduced his promise to Abraham, gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments and more. Jesus was presented to the Jewish reader as the incarnation of divine power, the Messiah. To both audiences, the word, the Logos, is unveiled to be a person, Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Here we see that Jesus is so much more than a baby. You see, instead of planting us in a dusty little town in the middle of Israel 2,000 years ago, John begins to paint an incredible picture of Jesus being with us since before the very beginning of time. Long before that manger held his human form, the word, Jesus, the Logos, was with us. In fact, Jesus has been with us since before the very beginning. Jesus has always existed as God. Jesus has always existed in unity and fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit. But he did not become God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, until the incarnation. Until Jesus chose to become that child in the manger. The book of John begins with this great news. God has come to us as never before. So nowadays, we have the benefit of reading this passage and knowing that Jesus is good news for the world. But I wonder how this would have been received by someone hearing this news for the first time. Consider the Greeks who believed in many gods. To the Greek reader, would a God coming near be good news? For example, think of Zeus, the Greek Lord of the sky. He was a rain god and his weapon was a thunderbolt, which he hurled at people who displeased him. And to the Jewish reader, was the God of the Old Testament a God who would be wanted and welcomed to dwell amongst people? Well, throughout the Gospels, we learn that this was great news to the Jewish reader. This is why Mary was able to be joyful and courageous as a teenaged unwed girl when she learned that she was going to give birth. This is why Joseph decided to marry this woman, become a political refugee, and travel by foot around the ancient world. This is why Elizabeth, who was really old, was thrilled to have a baby. And this is why Anna proclaimed to everyone who would listen, that this baby is the redeemer of Israel. These men and women knew about God's character because they knew the scriptures. And we are fortunate to still have these same writings, which allow us to look back and learn what the scriptures reveal about God's character and nature. The question begging to be asked by the unfamiliar audience is, who is this Logos, this God made flesh? And what is God like? In order to answer this, I first want to remind you that the author of John was steeped in the Old Testament writings. So who is this God of Israel? Who is this God revealed throughout the Old Testament? The story of the Bible begins like this. God spoke the world into existence and created humanity to be like him, to bear his image, to be holy, to rule and reign over the earth and to know him. God wanted to dwell with them, and that's why we are told that God walked in the garden with them. God is relational and shares this extravagant love with creation. This is who God is. 
But humanity wasn't satisfied with this type of relationship and authority. So they rebelled and were required to leave the garden. But God didn't give up on humanity or his plan for people to know him, to be holy, to bear his image, and to dwell in intimacy with him. So God pursues humanity and is merciful to creation. This is what God does. Then God creates a relationship with one person in particular, Abraham. He draws near and makes a promise guaranteeing that one of Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to all the nations. In this, we see that God continues to bless and restore people and creation, and we learn that God keeps his word. This is what God does. But God doesn't stop there. 400 years later, the descendants of Abraham are now slaves in Egypt. God rescues them and brings them out of Egypt, proving who he is by performing miracle after miracle. God was revealing himself through this story again. God is in the business of saving and redeeming people and creation. This is what God does. After God brings these people out of Egypt, God gives them laws, not laws to create pain and frustration, but to provide safety and to build confidence. Laws teaching these people how to behave and interact with each other and laws that allow them to interact with a holy God. God teaches us how life goes best because he cares about creation. This is what God does. Then as Israel is following God and entering into that promised land, they learn something new. God is not just their God, but the God of all gods. Just as God had drawn near to the Israelites, one day he would draw near to all the nations of the world. Like God was in the garden, God continues to pursue relationship and display mercy to all of creation. This is what God does. The good news is this, what the Lord says is right and true. He is faithful in everything he does. Because of love, God pursues humanity and promises to rescue and restore creation. The God of the beginning is still God. This is God today. This is the God we can count on for every day, for all of time. This is the God that has come to dwell with us. God is worthy of our trust. Listen to these words from Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Long before God laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. The God who is creator God, the God of Abraham who rescued and redeemed Israel, the God who kept his promise even when it required so much, the God who chose to demonstrate love 
and extend mercy to all the world at his own expense? This is the God who has come to dwell with us. So why do we live like God is not in our midst? Do you feel like God has set things in motion and then left us on our own to figure it out? Has the hurt and hardship in the world caused you to doubt God's nearness and presence? Has COVID caused you to doubt God's power? Has pain in a relationship caused you to wonder where God is? Has work not panned out the way you thought it would and made you second guess God's care and involvement in the world? I think, if we are honest, we have all lived through moments where it feels like God is far removed from us. The great invitation of this passage is that we can learn to cultivate a way of living and seeing the world to remind ourselves that God has actually moved towards us and entered into our space. God wants us to know that he is nearer to us than we might imagine. His presence is more accessible to us than we might assume. In John 1, we learn of three responses to this good news. In verse 10, we see that people didn't recognize Jesus. In verse 11, that people rejected Jesus. And in verse 12, that people received him and believed. In closing, I want us to consider these three responses. When Jesus was first born into our human story, the Jewish people were languishing under horrible military oppression and were hoping God would send a revolutionary rescuer, someone to lead a revolt. But this is not how Jesus arrived on the scene and people did not recognize him because they were looking for a different type of hero. Sometimes our expectations of God are so rigid that when God does not meet our expectations, we miss him. We expect God to meet us in our way and when he doesn't, we fail to recognize him. The second response is that when Jesus came near, some people didn't think they needed his help. And we too can fall prey to this mentality quite easily. We can convince ourselves that we are pretty good, able to take care of ourselves and able to earn God's favor as we develop our own worth. But when we are convinced of our own capability, we fail to recognize our need for a savior and consequently reject Jesus. While many people said they could not pivot and worship a God who did not fit their expectation, there were lots of people, young and old alike, who said, I will receive you, not as I want you to be, not as I feel you need to be, but instead, I will let you be God. I will let you come to me and I will trust your goodness. To those who chose to recognize Jesus, as the long-awaited rescuer, Jesus gave the power to become his daughter or son. When we choose to worship God and trust that his coming to us is good news, 
we can look to God and ask, will you lead me? Or will you teach me how to do this? Or will you please help me? Just as a child would ask a parent. Who were these people who received and worshiped Jesus? They were the poor in spirit. They were the people who realized they had sinned. They were the needy, the people with little help, the desperate. The good news is that although we have sinned and rebelled against God, God has seen us in our misery and has chosen to rescue us. The good news is that God has not rejected us or chosen to start over. Instead, God chose to put on flesh and come to us as the person of Jesus in order to endure the punishment we deserve by dying on the cross. The good news is that Jesus showed us he is able to conquer death and pay the penalty of our sin by coming back to life after three days in the grave. The good news is that Jesus has promised to return to us and when he does, everything will be restored. It will all be good again and we will enjoy it all together with God. And while we wait, the good news is that the Most High God who created the heavens and the earth has drawn near in spirit to help us, to comfort us, and to be known by us. In Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14, the prophet says, Announce the good news, raise cheers, sing praises, say, God has saved his people. He takes their hand and leads them. While this was first proclaimed when the Israelites were released from Babylonian captivity, it is an eternal anthem. This is our song. As we begin this new year, I invite you to begin 2021 asking yourself, where do I notice the work of God? Am I attentive to the presence of God? Am I cultivating an awareness of God in this very space? Or am I distracted, hurried, and so worried about life that I walk right past the work of God in my very midst? As we become aware of God in our midst, we will begin to train our eyes to squint through the darkness around us and see God's character of goodness and love shining through all around us. I invite you to look for God's love expressed in your very midst. And as we do this, we will begin to see God at work even in the most unlikely places, even in us. The message of hope that we retell every Christmas season is that God has not given up on us. God is still at work all around us, just like God has been since the beginning. The God of all eternity is here right now with us. And this is good news because God is a God whom we can trust. In the season ahead of us, Epiphany, 
we will spend the next six weeks paying attention to the things Jesus said and did while here on earth in order to worship God more fully. But to launch us into that season, I remind you of this. The Word became flesh and lived among us. While we wait for the glorious return of our King, we are invited to experience the glory of God with us now. God has promised to be with us, and we can trust that this is good news going into 2021. What good news this is.